We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 604 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, July 3rd, 2023. It is a bridge Monday, if you will, a bridge to July 4th as we are in the midst of what is a four-day holiday weekend for many of you, but not for this show. (laughs) Uh, We are here for this Monday installment of the show. Uh, No show for Tuesday, July 4th. I'll be back with you for a show for Wednesday, July 5th. But yes, there is a show for this Monday July 3rd. You are listening to that show right now. Hello and welcome to this Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. What is our first show for this month of July 2023? What is set to go down as an all-time month in Washington, D.C. sports? Are you prepared mentally, physically, spiritually for what is going to happen in this month of July 2023, the expected finalizing of the sale of the Commanders from Dan and Tanya Snyder, from the Snyders to the Josh Harris Group on July 20th. July 20th, not that far away. A truly special day is on the way in this month of July. Now, a big question with the sale has been, what's going to happen with team president Jason Wright? Well, We on Friday evening had multiple reports that the Josh Harris group will be retaining Jason Wright as commander's team president for at least the time being. Yeah, there it is, as Jason himself would say. There it is. (laughs) Yeah, Jason, there it is. Uh, Next segment, my analysis of this, uh, including a proper assessment of what was actually reported. You know, there's a big difference between retaining and retaining for now. Uh, Bottom line, it still may well be that Jason Wright is on his way out. Additionally, we have the first days of NBA free agency and NHL free agency to discuss as they relate to the Wizards and Capitals, respectively. I'll react to all that has gone down for the Wiz and the Caps over these last few days. The Wiz on Sunday morning, by the way, did officially sign the player they got via trade in the first round of this year's NBA draft, Bilal Koulibaly. But the biggest Wizards news from the weekend, Kyle Kuzma reportedly agreeing to re-sign with the Wizards. He was an unrestricted free agent. It looked like he was as good as gone, but he's coming back. Uh, Why, if the Wizards are rebuilding, if not tanking, are they bringing Kyle Kuzma back? I have a few thoughts on that as well as on the Wizards reportedly agreeing to trade Monte Morris. And I have plenty to say about what has happened with the Caps. Uh, Two major additions and two notable free agent defections. Some key comments from Caps Senior Vice President and General Manager Brian McClellan to play for you too. Also on the show, breakdowns of the Nationals and Orioles weekend series and all-star selections. Uh, the Nats won two or three games at the Philadelphia Phillies to conclude a very nice 6-3 and three road trip and saw starting pitcher Josiah Gray, who was great 
in a 2-1 win at the Phillies on Friday evening, get named to the National League All-Star team, although snubbed were two Nats having very nice seasons. Uh, third baseman Jamer Candelario and right fielder Lane Thomas. I have some things to say about that, as well as about the O's losing two or three games to the American League Central leading Minnesota Twins at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, but also having not one, not two, not three, but four players on the American League All-Star team. The O's, as we speak, have the second-best record in the American League and have four players on the American League All-Star team. (laughs) The people who criticized (laughs) the Orioles' rebuild, how's that criticism working out for you? Uh, You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Philip C., the MD, uh, writes Dr. Philip. Hey, Goldie, I had no idea that you had been on the pup list last week, or should I say the VUP list, vocally unable to perform. <laughs> I had assumed that you were on a much-needed and well-deserved vacation, especially given this time period of the quiet NFL news season. In any case, I had the same phenomenon happen to myself and my wife post-COVID. We both lost our voices about a week or two following mild COVID spells. Can't explain what it's all about, though. Best wishes for a speedy recovery and glad that you're back. Uh, Well, thank you for that, Philip. Uh, Glad to hear that I'm not the only person to whom this has happened. Uh, Losing my voice shortly after having COVID. Maybe Philip, his wife, and myself, we all need to be studied. (laughs) You know, maybe NIH should do a study on the three of us. Uh, Email from another doctor, Dr. George Verghese of the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Writes Dr. Verghese, so my wife took me and the kids to the Ed Sheeran concert at FedEx Field on Saturday night, June 24th. The guy sold out the place 60,000 plus like I haven't seen in years. But it took us two hours to get there from Arlington. Parking attendants were not well-trained, said to park anywhere. (laughs) Still a bleep show. Been years since I've been back. Showed my 13-year-old son, who was not a Skins fan, all of the names in the Ring of Honor and championship years. I saw John Riggins and Art Monk and Vince Lombardi under the commander's name and just got real angry. What has this guy done to this treasure. I'm not sure I'll be back until the new stadium opens. Just real sad. I'm definitely not buying anything that says Commanders. Uh, Thank you for the email, Dr. Verghese. And uh, by this guy, I'm assuming that Dr. Verghese is talking about our uh, outgoing Commanders owner, Dan Snyder, and not Ed Sheeran, although who knows. Uh, But Ed Sheeran, by the way, during that concert, wore a Tress Way jersey. (laughs) Did you see that? How great is that? I don't know if Ed Sheeran was being funny or being serious, but him wearing the jersey of our star punter, uh, A-plus move, in my opinion. Well, one of the things that I do on this podcast is never, ever refer to players who only played for the team when it was the Redskins as former Commanders players. Uh, I say Redskins when talking about anything that happened when the team was the Redskins. I say Washington when talking about anything that happened when the team was the Washington football team. And I say Commanders when talking about anything that has happened with the team as the Commanders. I'm not saying my system is perfect. I do not pass judgment on how others handle the name issue in terms of referring to things from the past. But the idea of referring to John Riggins or Art Monk as an all-time Commanders great, uh, to me, is so not the way to go. John Riggins is an all-time great Redskins running back. Art Monk is an all-time great Redskins receiver, just like Wes Unsell Jr. is an all-time great Bullets player, not an all-time great Wizards player. Well, I can't say that uh, I'm the world's biggest Ed Sheeran fan, but I am aware of his music, including the big hit Shape of you. (laughs) I'll let you sing the lyrics to that song, but if you are not in good shape due to the negligence of someone else, (laughs) always know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is dedicated to promoting the rights of seriously injured persons and their families. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. 
Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. Chris Nace and Matt Nace are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses that have had practices or products that are directly related to the root of your harm. And by the way, a big congratulations to Chris Nace, who was just named the 2023 Barry J. Nace Trial Lawyer of the Year. Uh, This by the D.C. Trial Lawyers Association. Paulson and Nace does not accept Low settlement offers that benefit the people who cause clients harm more than the offers benefit the clients. And this is because Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial. And that's because Paulson and Nace wins trials. Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. Make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You could also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Well, as we wait and anticipate the finalizing of the sale of the commanders from Dan and Tanya Snyder to the Josh Harris Group, a finalizing that's expected to happen on July 20th, we wonder, well, then what? Uh, Like, what are the immediate days after the completion of the sale going to be like? Is there going to be a big press conference? Is there going to be a big event celebrating the sale? Will there, in fact, be the parade (laughs) that people have joked about? And will there be immediate sweeping changes within the commander's organization? Not so much in football operations, given how deep into the offseason we now are, but in business operations. Well, we on Friday evening had multiple reports that the Josh Harris Group will be retaining Jason Wright as Commander's Team President for at least the time being. Uh, Jason, for now, isn't going anywhere. But the key part of that is for now. If you read the reporting from Friday evening, and you just think about this situation logically, all that's for sure is that the Josh Harris Group won't be firing Jason Wright immediately. But him being fired still is very much on the table. The news is broken by Commander's Insider Nikki Javala of the Washington Post and NFL Insider Mark Maskey of the Washington Post. But their reporting guarantees nothing in the way of the Harris Group ultimately retaining Jason Wright. Uh, The report quoted a source as saying that Jason will, quote, absolutely have the opportunity to perform in his role, end quote, and that no one should, quote, expect or allude to any changes with his role at this time, end quote. Uh, Commander's insider Ben Standing of The Athletic, uh, he wrote that Jason Wright will, quote, aid the transition period at the moment that is all to infer, end quote. Uh, Yeah, Jason Wright is far from totally safe. Now, he may ultimately end up being safe, but for now, he is not in the clear. Let me make this clear. Nobody in the commander's organization should be totally safe. Everyone in football and business operations should have to prove him or herself. But specific to Jason Wright, there are a few things to be thinking about here. So if you are Josh Harris and you're buying the commanders, a team that has had big time business issues for years now, you can do one of two things with the team's business operations upon buying the team. You can immediately blow up the team's business operations, uh, or you can take some time to assess what's what and who's who. Everything that we've heard and read about Josh Harris suggests that that latter approach is more inclined to be his approach, not the former approach. Uh, The former approach, ironically, would be more likely 
to be employed by the man most responsible for the team having so many business problems, Dan Snyder. Uh, But the way that Josh Harris is known to do things is via a measured, rational, analytical approach, which, by the way, I do endorse. I get the appeal of Josh Harris coming in and immediately blowing up business operations to smithereens, okay? I get that appeal. That would be an emphatic, declarative, alpha thing to do. Uh, It would resonate with a lot of fans. It would feel good for a lot of fans. But that doesn't mean that doing that would be the smart thing to do. That doesn't mean that doing that would be what is truly in the best interest of the organization. Consider this from that Washington Post report from this past Friday evening. Quote, when he bought the 76ers in 2011 and the Devils in 2013, Harris's early approach was to assess each franchise's operations before making any quick and significant change. His approach to his first season with the Commanders looks to be similar. The focus is expected to be more on evaluating the franchise's current strategy and personnel in football and in business, according to those people with knowledge of the ownership group's thinking. End quote. Jason Wright knows the inner workings of Commander's business operations. Uh, He has been intimately involved in the quest for a new stadium, uh, something that would seem to be an immediate priority for the Josh Harris group. At the very least, Josh Harris should keep Jason Wright for the purpose of extracting as much intel from Jason as possible. I mean, to put it bluntly, Josh should keep Jason around to get as much info out of him as possible and then fire him if, in fact, Josh wants to fire Jason. Uh, We have talked about Jason Wright on the podcast many times. Washington, on August 17th, 2020, announced the hiring of Jason Wright as team president. The screw-ups by Washington business operations under Jason Wright have been many. This is undeniable. Now, how much of this has had to do with Jason having Dan Snyder as the boss is hard to say. I think that you're being unfair if you think that all of the screw-ups have 100% been on Jason. Dan Snyder has been a terrible owner of the team. Jason, in August 2020, took over an absolute mess of a situation. And who knows how challenging working to clean up that mess with Dan still owning the team has been. I mean, imagine the stories that Jason can tell about working for Dan these last three years. However, at the same time, absolving Jason right of all blame for the many, and I mean many, screw-ups by Washington business operations under his watch would be ridiculous. I mean, to me, you're being naive. You're being way too forgiving if you just give Jason a pass for all of the screw-ups. You know, the low-budget, low-energy, underwhelming nature of the official announcement of the new team name of Commanders on February 2nd, 2022. What the team branded as 2.2.22. The crest controversy of February 2022. A Commanders team crest having the calendar years for the franchise's three Super Bowl titles as opposed to the seasons for the titles. Uh, The two inexplicably bad attempts to honor former Redskins safety Sean Taylor. You know, that installation (laughs) from this past November, what ended up being a wire mannequin in a Skins uniform, what looked like a mannequin in a clothing store. What the heck was that? You know, who does that? Uh, Don't forget about the mess that was the website commandlegacy.com in July 2022. The site had a number of factual errors and misspellings. And those factual errors and misspellings are not on Dan Snyder, okay? Dan's not doing web designing and web construction for the team. I promise you that. Uh, So all of these things are impossible to ignore. And if you're Josh Harris, all of these things need to be discussed with Jason Wright. What happened in these situations? How did what happened happen? What's your plan for things like these things to never, ever happen again? Uh, I do have a hard time believing that Josh Harris ultimately is going to retain Jason Wright as the person running commander's business operations. My guess would be that Jason stays through this coming season, and then we next offseason get change. And of course, next offseason, we could have a whole lot of change for the team, including in football operations. The truth is that this coming season, i.e. the rest of this calendar year, probably is going to be an evaluation period, and that the real stamp on the organization by the Josh Harris group won't start to truly be made until next year, until the calendar year of 2024. But you know what? 
Jason Wright, if he really truly does want to continue presiding over Commander's business operations, is going to have a chance to make his case. And in a lot of ways, he has been making his case. Uh, Jason Wright has been granting interviews and speaking publicly. Uh, Jason Wright spoke with various reporters at the NFL's annual league meeting, uh, which took place in Phoenix, Arizona, this past March 26th through the 29th. Uh, Jason Wright was on an installment of the Adam Schefter podcast that dropped on April 18th. Uh, Jason Wright was on the Pat McAfee show on April 28th. Uh, Jason Wright was on CNBC's Last Call with Brian Sullivan on May 1st. And as you may recall, Jason on CNBC flat out said that the news of Dan Snyder selling the commanders had spiked the team's selling of sweets. Jason flat out said that Dan selling the team had created, quote, anticipation of this franchise returning to what it once was, end quote. Uh, Jason Wright on May 20th at a flag football clinic for kids at the commander's indoor practice facility, the bubble uh, at the team's headquarters in Ashburn, Virginia, spoke to reporters for 11 plus minutes. Jason Wright has been out there. Uh, He has been distancing himself from the Snyders, and Jason has been talking up the sale of the team and the incoming ownership. Jason Wright has been making his case to stay on as team president, and uh, look, he's going to have to do a heck of a job making his case over these next few months. Well, you can talk Jason Wright and all things Commanders at WSH on the Daily on Instagram. Uh, Yes, at WSH on the Daily on IG. Uh, On the Daily just started in 2021 and yet has nearly 22,000 followers. And On the Daily is literally daily. Uh, The page is updated every day. News, notes, reports, photos, graphics. Uh, This is a page that properly sources and vets its news and information and doesn't just post anything that anyone says. Uh, On the Daily on Instagram is a great place at which you can converse with other Commanders fans regarding the team, the draft, free agency, and trades. On the Daily responds to every single DM. Uh, On the Daily is a page at which you can have fun, lots of creativity with jersey swaps and unique graphics and the contest name that Redskin and free wallpaper Wednesday, which is when On the Daily gives out free wallpaper that you could use on your phone. Uh, And On the Daily always has a great fresh look. If you are on Instagram, check out at WSH on the Daily for smart, informative, fun, and engaging Commander's content. Check out at WSH on the Daily on Instagram. All right, so NBA free agency has begun. Uh, The NBA's free agency negotiation period started on Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, and we, over the first few hours of free agency, had two significant moves by the Wizards, the re-signing of Kyle Kuzma and the trading of Monte Morris. And yes, I did say the re-signing of Kyle Kuzma, what had appeared to be unlikely, but then seemingly was becoming more likely ended up happening. Kuzma agreeing to re-sign with the Wizards. Uh, We on Friday evening, minutes after the start of the NBA's free agency negotiation period at 6 p.m. Eastern, had a tweet from ESPN NBA insider Adrian Wojnarowski, had a Woj bomb from Woj, uh, that unrestricted free agent Kyle Kuzma had agreed to re-sign with the Wizards via a four-year, $102 million contract. Uh, Now, if you are confused, you are not alone. Why are the Wizards, who pretty clearly are rebuilding, re-signing Kyle Kuzma to a four-year, $102 million contract? Well, there are several possibilities here. The nightmare possibility is that the Wizards' new front office regime of Monumental Basketball President Michael Winger, Wizards General Manager Will Dawkins, and Wizards Senior Vice President of Player Personnel Travis Schlenk has been ordered by the owner, Monumental Sports and Entertainment founder and CEO Ted Leonsis to not tank, but to try to at least be decent. This is the nightmare possibility that Ted got cold feet about rebuilding, about tanking, and ordered Winger, Dawkins, and Schlank to bring Kuzma back to sell some tickets and generate a few more wins. This scenario would be so bad for so many reasons, Ted having ordered Winger, Dawkins, and Schlank to re-sign Kuzma. 
The biggest reason why this scenario would be so bad would be Ted not letting winger Dawkins and Schlank do as they want to do. But it's quite possible that the nightmare scenario is not what is happening here. Uh, what could also be happening here, and what I think is probably the case here, is that winger Dawkins and Schlank are viewing Kyle Kuzma in the same way that the Wizards are viewing Jordan Poole, uh, who the team is getting in the trading of Chris Paul to the Golden State Warriors. A trade, by the way, that the Wizards still have not officially announced. Uh, it was on June 22nd that we had multiple reports of this trade. Here we are now, July 3rd, and the trade still has not been officially announced. But anyway, here's how I look at the Wizards in their rebuild. The goal for the Wizards this coming season should be that all of their players fall into one of two categories, potential building block or potential trade chip. Every player on the team should either be a piece for the future or a piece that can be flipped for something that helps the future. The beauty of Jordan Poole and Kyle Kuzma is that each guy is young enough and talented enough to where he can be a potential building block or a potential trade chip. And so having these guys on the team does make sense. Kyle Kuzma had become an unrestricted free agent for this offseason by declining a $13 million player option for the 2023-2024 season. Uh, the Wizards did not trade Kuzma prior to the NBA trade deadline this past February 9th. There was a very real possibility that the Wizards were going to lose Kuzma for nothing. Uh, now, instead, they're re-signing him and can eventually trade him for something or have him as part of the rebuild. Uh, this coming season will be Kuzma's age 28 season. What he did this past season is a little tricky. People talk about how great of a season that Kuzma just had. Well, here are the facts. Kuzma, this past regular season, averaged a career-best 21.8 points per 36 minutes and a career-best 29.5 points per 100 possessions. So he certainly had a very good scoring season, but he did not have a very efficient season. His true shooting percentage of 544 was the second worst of his six-season NBA career. Uh, true shooting percentage is a version of shooting percentage that factors in threes being worth more than twos and factors in free throws. So when people talk about Kuzma having had this great 2022-2023 season, there is some nuance that needs to be understood. But look, Kuzma did have overall a good season. He is a talented guy and he is a good player. Uh, the Wizards acquired Kuzma from the Los Angeles Lakers in August 2021. Uh, this is part of that five-team mega trade, if you remember that, uh, a trade that also included the Brooklyn Nets, Indiana Pacers, and San Antonio Spurs, and also featured the Wizards acquiring Spencer Dinwiddie uh, in a sign-and-trade with the Nets uh, and sending Russell Westbrook to the Lakers. Uh, and then Monte Morris. So we on Friday night had multiple reports that the Wizards had agreed to trade Monte Morris to the Detroit Pistons for a 2027 second round pick. Uh, the Wizards were set to have three key guards in Tyus Jones, Monte Morris, and DeLon Wright entering contract seasons. Uh, now the Wizards at least are getting something from Morris, uh, albeit a second round pick in four years. Boy, the Wizards have loaded up <laughs> on second round picks via all of the team's recent moves. I mean, the trade of Bradley Beal to the Phoenix Suns included the Wizards getting six second round draft picks. Uh, also, the Wizards this past Wednesday night announced having acquired the Chicago Bulls 2026 and 2027 second round draft picks in exchange for the draft rights to Julian Phillips. So the Wizards got Phillips draft rights in that three-team trade with the Boston Celtics and Memphis Grizzlies in which the Wizards dealt Chris Dapps Porzingis to the Celtics. But the Wizards right now are hoarding second round picks. Uh, the Wizards acquired Monte Morris via trade with the Denver Nuggets last offseason. Uh, the Wizards on July 6, 2022, officially announced having traded Contavious Caldwell Pope and Ish Smith to the Nuggets for Monte Morris and Will Barton. You know, Monte Morris for the 2022-2023 regular season, it was number one among all qualified NBA players in assisted turnover ratio. Yeah, number one and number two, was Tyus Jones, uh, who the Wizards acquired in the Chris Dapps Porzingis trade. So as things stand right now, our likely starting five for the Wizards for this coming season would seem to be Tyus Jones, Jordan Poole, Denny Avdia, Kyle Kuzma, and Daniel Gafford. 
Uh, a lot of youth right there. Jones is entering his age 27 season. Poole, his age 24 season. Denny, his age 23 season. Kuzma, his age 28 season. And Gafford, his age 25 season. Well, whereas the NBA offseason can be confusing because moves get reported but then aren't official for quite some time, the NHL offseason is a breath of fresh air. The NHL offseason is very straightforward. Moves happen. They are officially announced by teams quickly. Heck, NHL teams actually announce contract terms. Like, NHL teams in announcing free agent signings and contract extensions actually put out the financial terms of those deals. Uh, The NHL, a lot easier to follow than the NBA, and I give the NHL a lot of credit for that. So NHL free agency for the 2023 NHL offseason got going on Saturday at noon Eastern. Uh, The Capitals, remember, are retooling, but not rebuilding. Uh, The biggest moves by the Caps over the weekend came on Saturday afternoon. The signing of free agent forward Max Pacioretty and the trade acquisition of defenseman Joel Edmondson. Uh, So the Caps on Saturday afternoon signed unrestricted free agent forward Max Pacioretty to a one-year, $2 million contract. Pacioretty does not exactly (laughs) fit the profile of the Caps trying to get younger and faster via this retool. He's entering his age 35 season, and he's coming off two tears of his right Achilles tendon. Uh, Pacioretty spent the 2022-2023 season with the Carolina Hurricanes, who acquired him via trade with the Vegas Golden Knights in July 2022. But Pacioretty in the 2022-2023 regular season played in just five games uh, due to two tears of his right Achilles tendon. He suffered the first tear in August 2022. He suffered the second tear in January 2023. And Pacioretty in a Zoom session with reporters on Saturday afternoon said that he does not expect to be ready for the start of this coming regular season. I don't know if the Caps view Pacioretty as a low-cost, potential high-upside signing or just as a cheap signing to fill up a bottom six forward spot. But yeah, entering his age 35 season and coming off two tears of his right Achilles tendon, not exactly the kind of player who fits the theme of a retool. Uh, now, Pacioretty has been a very productive player. Uh, 236 regular season goals from the 2013-2014 season through the 2020-2021 season. Uh, the seventh most regular season goals in the NHL during that span. But, you know, that span was multiple years ago now and was two right Achilles tendon tears ago now. Uh, Cap Senior Vice President and General Manager Brian McClellan on Sunday afternoon did a press conference. Uh, this was McClellan on what made Max Pacioretty a fit for the Caps? Goal scoring would be the primary. Um, you know, I think we got to find a way to score more goals. Um, and that's what he does. Uh, really like the player. Uh, obviously, he's one of the top goal scorers over the past number of years. Um, good player. You know, I don't think beyond the injury, I think he's still probably better than what he was at, uh, in those later years. So we're excited to get him healthy and in our lineup. Well, the Caps this past season did have trouble scoring goals, no doubt. Uh, Max Pacioretty, if healthy, certainly could help in the goal scoring department. But again, entering his age 35 season and coming off not one, but two tears of his right Achilles tendon. Also on Saturday afternoon, the Caps acquired defenseman Joel Edmondson from the Montreal Canadiens for a 2024 third-round pick that was originally acquired from the Minnesota Wild and a 2024 seventh-round pick. Additionally, the Canadiens retained 50% of Edmondson's contract. Uh, Edmondson is entering his age 30 season. He spent the last three seasons playing for the Canadiens. The results were mixed. Edmondson for the 2022-2023 regular season was number two among Canadiens defensemen in hits and block shots and was number four among Canadiens defensemen in ice time per game. Additionally, Edmondson for last regular season was number two among all qualified NHL defensemen in shorthanded ice time per game. So all of that you like as a Caps fan. However, Joel Edmondson for the 2022-2023 2023 regular season had a five on five shot attempt percentage of just 42.9. 
uh, meaning that the Canadians with him on the ice in five-on-five situations generated just 42.9% of shot attempts. Uh, Good things were not happening with Edmondson on the ice, uh, and the guy has had a problematic back. Uh, Edmondson, over the last two regular seasons, played in just 85 of a possible 164 games as he dealt with an ailing back. Brian McClellan on Sunday afternoon on Joel Edmondson. When we were going through the free agent market, the trade market, it's an element that we wanted to add to our lineup. Um, so we watched uh, or got a sense of what free agency for that type of player, uh, physical, net front presence, uh, good leader, um, has some good size. Um, looked at the free agent market, what the cost was, decided to go that way, you know, spend a pick on it and... Um, and plus the salary retention was appealing to us too because we could afford that. So we're adding two players where, um, with a limited amount of cap space. So that, both that was appealing. Yeah, the salary cap has been an issue for the Caps for a while now, especially as they're trying to re-sign their top restricted free agent this offseason, defenseman Martin Fehervari, to a contract. But You know, you take a step back, the retooling caps on day one of NHL free agency signed a guy in Max Pacioretty who's entering his age 35 season and is coming off not one but two tears of his right Achilles tendon. And the retooling caps on day one of NHL free agency traded for a guy in Joel Edmondson who's entering his age 30 season and has missed a lot of time the last two seasons due to his back. Uh, Not exactly what you would envision for a Caps team trying to get younger, trying to get faster, and remember, trying to get healthier. The Caps were ravaged by injury this past season. Uh, The two notable free agent losses for the Caps on Saturday afternoon were two Connors, uh, forwards Connor Brown and Connor Sheary. The Caps on Saturday afternoon lost unrestricted free agent forward Connor Brown to the Edmonton Oilers, who signed him to a one-year $4 million contract. Uh, The Caps on July 13th, 2022, what was day one of NHL free agency last offseason, announced having traded a second-round pick in the 2024 NHL draft to the Ottawa Senators for Connor Brown. Brown came to the Caps having been a very durable player over his six full NHL seasons, but Brown in the Caps' fourth game of this past regular season, a 6-4 win over the Vancouver Canucks at Capital One Arena this past October 17th, suffered a season-ending torn right ACL. And that was it. Uh, Brown's entering his age 30 season, and the Caps on Saturday afternoon lost unrestricted free agent forward Connor Sheary to the Tampa Bay Lightning, who signed him to a three-year $6 million contract. Uh, Sheary played for the Caps for three seasons. The Caps in December 2020 signed Sheary as an unrestricted free agent to a one-year $735,000 contract. Uh, Then the Caps on April 14th, 2021 announced the re-signing of Sheary to a two-year $3 million contract. He was the only Caps player to play in all 82 of the team's games this past regular season. He's going into his age 31 season. Uh, a bunch of guys who the Caps traded this past season in their uh, sell-off did get paid, uh, including defenseman Dmitry Orlov. He signed a two-year $15.5 million unrestricted free agent contract with the Carolina Hurricanes. Orly got paid of that There is no doubt. What remains to be seen with the Caps uh, is if they will be trading away any more significant players like center Evgeny Kuznetsov. Uh, Remember what went down with him just a few months ago. Match TV of Russia on March 25th reported that Kuznetsov via his agent had requested to be traded, and the request per the report was not new, as Kuznetsov had previously asked to be traded. Additionally, Caps insider Tarek El-Bashir of The Athletic in a mailbag column that came out this past March 21st wrote that, quote, Caps decision makers are disappointed in Kuznetsov's season, end quote, and that, quote, trust is broken, end quote, between the Caps and Kuznetsov. Uh, For what it's worth, Kuznetsov on March 27th denied that he had asked to be traded, Uh, but we'll see. You know, the only thing certain with Evgeny Kuznetsov right now is that he is owed a lot of money. Uh, The Caps in July 2017 re-signed Kuzi to an eight-year, $62.4 million contract. When he's on, when he's focused, he can be great. We all know that. But when is the key word right there. When he's on, when he's focused, Uh, those things are not always the case. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. 
Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's talk Nationals. And before we get to who from the Nats did and did not make the National League All-Star team, I do believe that a proper salute to the Nats is in order. The Nats, the rebuilding Nats, the previously reeling Nats, they just concluded a terrific six and three road trip. Uh, They won two or three games at the San Diego Padres. The Nats then won two or three games at the Seattle Mariners, and the Nats over the weekend won two or three games at the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, Two one-run wins sandwiched around a terrible blowout loss. Uh, Friday night, a 2-1 win. Saturday, a humiliating 19-4 loss, but Sunday afternoon, a 5-4 win. The Nats, the boys, a 6-3 road trip that consisted of three series victories. I'm proud of the boys. Yes, Nats manager Davey Martinez, he should be proud of the boys. Uh, the Nats now are 34-49. and 49. That is the second worst record in the National League. But consider this, the Nats now are 21-22 and 22 on the road. Just a game under 500 on the road as compared to 13-27 and 27 at home. You know, the Nats franchise since moving to Washington, D.C. in the 2004-2005 offseason has had a bit of a thing in terms of doing better on the road versus at home. I mean, the Nats are 12-5 and on the road in the postseason versus just 7-12 and at home in the postseason. We all remember the 2019 World Series in which the Nats went 4-0 on the road and 0-3 at home. I'm not sure what the deal is with Nationals Park. I'm not sure uh, what's going on here with the uh, home field disadvantage uh, that the Nats have had for years. But uh, anyway, really good job by the Nats to win this series at the Phillies. Here was Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Sunday afternoon. We played hard. We played hard all this whole trip. So um, let's play a little bit better at home, right? That's, that's I, I asked him that. You know, we play a little bit better at home. Um, we'll do some good things. But like I said, they're playing. They're playing hard. Shows character what they did today after after yesterday. Come back and and uh, keep plugging away and and, and come back and, and win in a game like this against a good, really good team. So um, I can't say enough about uh, about that team, uh, about what we're trying to do here, about uh, just, uh, the, that group, that group is special. It really is. So um, we're going to keep fighting. You know, we're going to keep playing hard and keep fighting and, and, and come back tomorrow and try to go 1-0. Well, more on what went down for the Nats at the Phillies over the weekend in a bit, but a man who was a key part of that Nats series win is the Nats' lone all-star for this season, at least for now. Uh, Nat starting pitcher Josiah Gray, he on Sunday evening was named to the 2023 National League All-Star team. Uh, Congratulations to Josiah Gray. He is in the midst of a terrific step forward season. The Nats acquired Gray and catcher Capit Ruiz from the Los Angeles Dodgers as the headline prospects in a crop of four prospects for starting pitcher Max Scherzer and shortstop Trey Turner in a trade that was finalized on July 31st. 2021, uh, what was the headline trade uh, in that Nats massive fire sale in July 2021. Uh, Josiah Gray for the Nats in the 2021 regular season made 12 starts, registered an ERA of 531. Gray for the 2022 regular season had an ERA of 502, gave up a major league worst 
38 home runs and issued a National League worst 66 walks. Uh, Gray, over his first two Major League regular seasons, 2021 and 2022, gave up a staggering 57 home runs in 219 and a third innings. Things were not going so well for Josiah Gray as a Major League pitcher until this season. Gray in this 2023 regular season, 17 starts and ERA of 330. But it's not just that. Josiah Gray through games on Saturday was number five among all National League pitchers in wins above replacement war per baseball reference for this regular season at 2.7 and was number 10 among all qualified National League pitchers in ERA plus for this regular season at 127. Uh, ERA plus is ERA that's adjusted for a player's league in home ballpark. 100 is average. Above 100 is good. Below 100 is bad. Josiah Gray quantifiably has gone from being one of the worst starting pitchers in the majors to one of the best starting pitchers in the majors. And this transition was very much on display over the weekend. Uh, the Nats 2-1 win at the Phillies on Friday evening. Gray in that game, one run in six innings with eight strikeouts versus one walk. Uh, gave up just six hits, all of which were singles. He threw a lot of strikes, 99 pitches, a whopping 69 strikes versus just 30 balls. I mean, this was maybe Gray's best start of this season. Now, it's no surprise that the Nats, in having the second-worst record in the National League, only have one All-Star for this season, at least right now. That could change given injuries and guys just not wanting to play in the All-Star game. But I do want to highlight two Nats who, to me, are two All-Star snubs. Third baseman, Jamer Candelario, and right fielder, Lane Thomas. I personally don't get that worked up over All-Star selections. Uh, The All-Star game is an exhibition game. It's a showcase for Major League Baseball. The process by which All-Stars are selected is convoluted and flawed in terms of truly identifying the best players. In case you don't know the process, the nine starting position players in each league are selected by fans via two phases of voting, and then reserve position players and pitchers in each league are selected via a combination of player ballots and the commissioner's office. But the commissioner's office has to adhere to this rule of every major league team having at least one all-star. You also have the reality of having to put together all-star rosters. In other words, you can only have so many third basemen. You can only have so many outfielders, etc. So bottom line, I don't take all-star selection super seriously. And I never use how many times a player has been selected as an all-star to measure how great that player is. But consider the seasons that Jamer Candelario and Lane Thomas are having. And again, I get it. The Nats are not a good team, but who makes all-star teams shouldn't have anything to do with how good or bad those players' teams are. Like, this is about honoring individual players. Jamer Candelario, through games on Saturday, was number one among all National League third basemen in war for baseball reference for this regular season at 2.6 and was number one among all National League third basemen in war per fan graphs for this regular season at 2.4. So let's think about this. War measures a position player in totality, his batting, his base running, and his defense. Uh, War is not gospel, but war to me absolutely is something that you should look at when evaluating a major league player. Jamer Candelario, per the two most prominent versions of war, the baseball reference version and the Fangraphs version, number one (laughs) among all National League third basemen, and yet he's not a member of the National League All-Star team? Does that make sense? Heck no. And then Lane Thomas, he threw games on Saturday, was number eight among all National League players, not all National League right fielders, all National League players in offensive war for this regular season at 2.8 and was number 10 among all qualified National League players in OPS plus for this regular season at 139. OPS plus is OPS on base percentage plus slugging percentage that's adjusted for a player's league at home ballpark. 100 is average. Above 100 is good. Below 100 is bad. Lane Thomas this season has been one of the best offensive players in the majors and yet is not an all-star. 
Uh, I really hope that at least one of these guys winds up on the National League All-Star team, but both guys are deserving. And Jamer Candelario, he and this Nats 5-4 win at the Phillies on Sunday afternoon homered. Uh, He is the Nats starting third baseman and number two batter went one for three with a solo homer and a walk. Uh, Candelario in the Nats one run fifth, a one out first pitch solo homer to left field for a 5-3 Nats lead. And Candelario in the Nats four run third drew a two-out walk. But also in that Nats four-run third on Sunday afternoon was a grand slam. Stone Garrett. Stone cold. Stone Garrett. Uh, He on Sunday afternoon as the Nats starting left fielder and number four batter, two for four with a grand slam and a single. Uh, Garrett in that Nats four-run third, a two-out first pitch grand slam to left field for a 4-3 Nats lead. Uh, What was Stone Garrett's second Grand Slam of this regular season? He is the first Nats player to have at least two Grand Slams in a regular season since Gerardo Porra in 2019. Not since the Baby Shark have we seen what Stone Garrett is doing here. Uh, And also Stone Garrett on Sunday afternoon, top of the second, a leadoff full count, opposite field single to right center field despite having been down in the count at 1.12. Now, both the Grand Slam and the single were off Phillies lefty starter Ranger Suarez. Uh, Garrett in the Nats 2-1 win at the Phillies on Friday night as the Nats starting left fielder and number six batter went one for four with a two-run homer. Uh, He and the Nats two-run second had a one-out two-run homer to left field for a 2-0 Nats lead. That homer came off Phillies lefty starter Christopher Sanchez. Uh, Stone Garrett this season against left-handed pitching has been really good. He now in this regular season has an OPS of 871 against left-handed pitching. Uh, And by the way, also for Stone Garrett in this series was another hit. Uh, He in that uh, 19-4 loss at the Phillies on Saturday came off the bench and in the top of the ninth had a leadoff opposite field single to shallow right field off Phillies righty reliever Dylan Covey. Uh, The Nats starting pitching in this series win at the Phillies featured one good start, one hideous start, and one so-so start. Uh, I mentioned the good start, which was by Josiah Gray. The so-so start came in the 5-4 win on Sunday afternoon. Trevor Williams, uh, he allowed three runs in five innings. He gave up six hits, two homers, a double, and three singles. He issued two walks. He recorded just one strikeout. He over 80 pitches through 48 strikes versus 32 balls. Uh, Williams in the bottom of the first allowed three runs, but he did then toss four scoreless innings, although he in the outing did not have a single clean inning. Uh, That bottom of the first was rough. Williams gave up a two-out full count solo homer by Nick Castellanos to left field for a one-nothing Phillies lead. Williams gave up a two-out single by ex-Nat Bryce Harper to right center field, and Williams gave up a two-out first pitch, a two-run homer by JT Realmuto to left field for a 3-0 Phillies lead. But Trevor Williams on Sunday afternoon gave the Nats a chance to win and certainly was a lot better than Mackenzie Gore in that 19-4 loss at the Phillies on Saturday. Uh, Gore had his worst start of the season. You know, something that had been very encouraging with Gore was the avoidance of the blow-up start. Well, he on Saturday had a blow-up start. Gore in this game, seven runs in two and two-thirds innings. He gave up six hits, a homer, two doubles, and three singles. He issued three walks and a hit-by-pitch. He had three strikeouts. He over 64 pitches through 37 strikes versus 27 balls. Uh, Gore in the bottom of the second allowed a run, but he completely unraveled in what ended up being a six-run third inning for the Phillies. This was ugly. Uh, Gore issued a leadoff five-pitch walk of ex-Nat Kyle Schwarber. Gore then issued a five-pitch walk of another ex-Nat Trey Turner. Gore then gave up a single by Nick Castellanos to left field to load the bases with no outs. Gore then failed to cover first base on a bases-loaded RBI fielder's choice grounder by Bryce Harper, preventing the possibility of a double play. Uh, Gore then gave up a one-out RBI single by JT Realmuto on a bloop to center field for a 3-1 Phillies lead. Gore then gave up a one-out RBI sack fly by another ex-Nat on the Phillies, Josh Harrison, for a 4-1 Phillies lead. Gore then gave up a two-out two-run homer by Alec Bohm to left center field for a 6-1 Phillies lead. Gore then issued a brutal walk, a two-out nine-pitch walk of the Phillies' number eight batter, Edmundo Sosa, despite him having been down in the count at one point, one, two. And Gore then gave up a two-out RBI double by Kristen Pache to left field for a 7-1 Phillies lead. 
Davey Martinez, and the Nats director of athletic training, Paul Lassard, then visited the mound, and that was it. Davey removed Gore from the game. Now, Davey, during his post-game session with reporters on Saturday evening, said that Gore was dealing with a blister, although the blister doesn't seem to be a big deal. Mackenzie Gore now in this regular season, 17 starts, ERA up to 448. Yeah, just like that, Gore now has an ERA of 448. His ERA via this outing went from 389 to 448. His whip now is at 147. He's putting a lot of guys on base. Now, there's an element of bad luck to this because he has allowed a uh, sky-high BABIP, a sky-high batting average on balls in play. The Mackenzie Gore BABIP allowed for this regular season now is at 348. But as I outlined in that six-run third, the walk's really a problem uh, for Mackenzie Gore in this outing on Saturday. Uh, And then the Nats' bullpen over the weekend. So the Nats' bullpen in this series went as the Nats as a whole did in the series. Good in games one and three, uh, really bad (laughs) in game two. So the 5-4 win on Sunday afternoon, four Nats relievers combined to allow one run in four innings as the Nats with relievers pitching turned three key double plays and did this with multiple reserves as starters in this game. Uh, the Nats starting second baseman on Sunday afternoon was Michael Chavis. The Nats starting shortstop on Sunday afternoon was Ildemaro Vargas, but Chavis and Vargas did a really nice job on these double plays. Uh, so Jose A. Ferrer on Sunday afternoon, a scoreless bottom of the six, despite having runners on first and second with no outs. He gave up a leadoff double by Bryson Stott off the right center field wall on a ball that uh, was awkwardly played by right fielder Lane Thomas. And yet another instance of Thomas having trouble with a ball off a wall or near a wall. Uh, Ferrer then issued a walk of Alec Bohm, but Ferrer then induced a first pitch 4-6-3 double play off the bat of Derek Hall, uh, and then struck out Brandon Marsh swinging uh, with a runner on third and two outs. Uh, Mason Thompson on Sunday afternoon, he in the bottom of the seventh did allow a run uh, and recorded just one out. He gave up a leadoff double by Kyle Schwarber to right field on a 1-2 pitch and gave up a one-out RBI double by Nick Castellanos down the left field line to cut the Nats' lead to 5-4. But then came Kyle Finnegan, who really is emerging as a fireman for the Nats lately. Fireman Finnegan, Uh, He, on Sunday afternoon, one and two-thirds scoreless innings. He came into the game in the bottom of the seventh with a runner on second, went out, and the Nats nursing a 5-4 lead. He issued a one-out walk of Bryce Harper, but that induced a 6-4-3 double play off the bat of JT Realmuto for the second and third outs. And Finnegan then tossed a scoreless bottom of the eighth despite issuing a leadoff walk of Bryson Stott and despite giving up a one-out single by Derek Hall on a wicked shot up the middle uh, as Finnegan then induced a 4-6-3 double play off the bat of Brandon Marsh for the second and third outs. And then Hunter Harvey tossed a perfect bottom of the ninth despite facing the numbers one through three batters in the Phillies lineup. Kyle Schwarber, Trey Turner, and Nick Castellanos. Uh, The 2-1 win on Friday evening, three Nats relievers combined for three scoreless innings with four strikeouts. Uh, Mason Thompson in the bottom of the seventh faced three batters, got two outs. He gave up a leadoff full count opposite field double by Alec Bohm to the right center field gap, but then generated back-to-back strikeouts. Uh, Kyle Finnegan on Friday evening, one in a third scoreless innings, which came in facing the top five batters of the Phillies lineup. And Hunter Harvey on Friday evening, a perfect bottom of the ninth with two swinging strikeouts. But <laughs> the 19-4 loss on Saturday was a disaster for the bullpen, specifically the Nats' first three relievers in this game, Amos Willingham, Joe LaSorsa, and Thaddeus Ward. Uh, for the game, five Nats relievers and a position player combined to allow 12 runs in five and a third innings. But it was the Nats' first three relievers in the game who allowed the 12 runs. Amos Willingham, Joe LaSorsa, and Thaddeus Ward, those three guys on Saturday combined to allow 12 runs in two and a third innings. Yes, 12 runs in two and a third innings. The Phillies in this game on Saturday scored 18 runs over the third through fifth innings. Six runs in the third, four runs in the fourth, and eight runs in the fifth. 
Uh, the rest of the Nats relief pitching effort on Saturday actually was fine, including this guy, Jose A. Ferrer, who made his major league regular season debut in this game. He tossed a perfect bottom of the sixth. The Nats on Friday afternoon recalled Ferrer, a lefty from AAA Rochester and play starter Patrick Corbin on the bereavement list. Uh, the Nats in July 2017 signed Ferrer as a non-drafted free agent out of the Dominican Republic. Uh, this season is his age 23 season. Ferrer in the 2022 season pitched well for Low A Fredericksburg and High A Wilmington and actually was selected to participate in the 2022 All-Star Futures game, which is the All-Star game for minor league baseball. Uh, but Ferrer this season actually was not killing it for AAA Rochester. 34 games, 40 innings, ERA a 383 whip of 155, a strikeouts per nine innings of 7.4. It's worth noting that another lefty reliever in the Nats organization, Sean Doolittle, uh, now is out with injury for Rochester. Uh, Davey Martinez on Friday afternoon in a pregame session with reporters revealed that uh, Doolittle, who already is trying to come back from a major left elbow injury, uh, has suffered a right knee patellar tendon strain. But anyway, Jose A. Ferrer on Saturday, perfect bottom of the sixth. Corey Abbott, scoreless bottom of the seventh. And Ildemaro Vargas, who was an ad starting left fielder in this game, a perfect bottom of the eighth. He actually did well. Uh, eight pitches, seven strikes versus one ball. Uh, as we once again had an instance of a Nats position player pitching. Uh, this has happened way too often over these last three seasons. But as bad as that loss on Saturday was, the Nats won the series two games to one and ended up having a six and three road trip. Uh, next up for the Nats, a seven game homestand to close out the team's pre-All-Star break portion of the season. Uh, first up is a four-game series against the Cincinnati Reds, who are tied with the Milwaukee Brewers atop the National League Central. Uh, game one, Monday evening at 6.05, Jake Irvin will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two, Tuesday morning at 11.05 in the Nats annual July 4th morning game, Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game three, Wednesday night at 7.05, the All-Star, Josiah Gray, will be the Nats starting pitcher. And game four, Thursday afternoon at 105, Mackenzie Gore will be the Nats starting pitcher. All right, so the Nationals have one All-Star for this season, at least for now. The Orioles have four All-Stars for this season. Four Orioles players on Sunday evening were named to the 2023 American League All-Star team. Catcher Adley Rutschman, outfielder Austin Hayes, and relievers Felix Batista and Yanir Cano. First time since 2016 that the O's have more than one All-Star in a season. The O's in 2016 actually had five All-Stars, but uh, all four of these 2023 Orioles All-Stars are deserving. I could actually make a very strong case that Orioles starting pitcher Tyler Wells deserves to be an All-Star. I mean, the guy remains number one among all qualified pitchers in the majors in whip for this regular season at 0.88. But four Orioles All-Stars, a great achievement for the team. Another sign of the rebuild working. Uh, the O's have the second best record in the American League at 49 and 33, although uh, they are coming off a uh, bit of a bumpy weekend during which they lost two or three games to the American League Central leading Minnesota Twins at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Friday night, an 8-1 loss in a game for which the start was delayed by an hour and 26 minutes due to rain. Boy, the O's have dealt with a lot of rain delays lately. Uh, Saturday, a 1-0 loss giving the O's their first losing streak of at least four games in this regular season. But Sunday afternoon, a 2-1 win as the O's, Joe Angel, mercifully, were back in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, Joe, the win column. Nice to be back in that. Uh, the Orioles hitting in losing two or three games to the Twins was not good. Uh, the O's of the three games in this series scored a total of just three runs, totaled just 12 hits, and went a combined one for 12 with runners in scoring position. Even the 2-1 win on Sunday afternoon, the O's in that game totaled just the two runs and totaled just five hits and went one for eight with runners in scoring position. The O's did work four walks, but the O's in this game overcame a one nothing eighth-inning deficit with a two-run eighth capped by a Jordan Westberg two-out, bases-loaded, hit-by-pitch for a 2-1 Orioles lead. That's the kind of weekend 
it was for the Orioles' offense. But the Orioles' pitching in the series was a different story. Uh, the starting pitching was mixed. The relief pitching was excellent. Uh, Cole Irvin in Game 3 was good, although his peripherals were not good. But Irvin in the 2-1 win on Sunday afternoon, one run in five innings. He gave up six hits, two doubles, and four singles. He issued three walks, a hit by pitch, and a wild pitch. He recorded just one strikeout, but he somehow allowed just the one run. He over 82 pitches through 49 strikes versus 33 balls. Uh, Kyle Bradish in Game 2 was good to at least some extent for a fifth consecutive start. Bradish in the one nothing loss on Saturday, one run in six innings with seven strikeouts versus one walk. He gave up seven hits, a homer, and six singles. He issued a wild pitch. He threw 94 pitches, 60 strikes versus 34 balls. Kyle Bradish is on a nice run right now. Uh, his previous outing, 3-2 win over the Seattle Mariners at Oriole Park at Camden Yards the previous Sunday afternoon, June 25th. Uh, two runs in seven innings, seven strikeouts. Uh, the 8-6 win at the Major League leading Tampa Bay Rays on June 20th. Bradish in that game, two runs in five innings with eight strikeouts. Uh, a 3-1 loss to the Toronto Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on June 14th. Bradish in that game, one run in seven innings, a 6-3 win at the Milwaukee Brewers on June 8th. Radish in that game, three runs in five innings, but he had 10 strikeouts versus one walk. Uh, Kyle Bradish in this regular season now, 15 starts, ERA of 358. And then Dean Kramer in game one uh, was bad. Uh, but for just the second time in 11 starts, uh, Kramer in the 8-1 loss on Friday night, seven runs in three innings, although we did have five strikeouts. Uh, but the Orioles bullpen in this series, outstanding. Uh, Orioles relievers in this series combined to allow one run in 13 innings with 16 strikeouts. Uh, the 8-1 loss on Friday night, three Orioles relievers combined to allow one run in six innings with six strikeouts. Nick Vespi, three scoreless innings, three strikeouts. The O's on Friday afternoon recalled Vespi from AAA Norfolk and put reliever Keegan Aiken on the 15-day injured list retroactive to June 29th with lower back discomfort. Uh, the one nothing loss on Saturday, three Orioles relievers combined for three scoreless and hitless innings with five strikeouts. Mike Bauman, scoreless top of the seventh with two swinging strikeouts. Danny Coulomb, a perfect top of the eighth. Yanir Cano, a perfect top of the ninth with two swinging strikeouts. And then in this 2-1 win on Sunday afternoon, three Orioles relievers combined for four perfect innings with five strikeouts. Brian Baker, two perfect innings. Cino Perez, a perfect top of the eighth. And Felix Batista, a perfect top of the ninth with three strikeouts. Really good stuff from the Orioles' bullpen in this series. Uh, the O's on Saturday morning did transfer reliever Michael Givens to the 60-day injured list with his right shoulder inflammation. Also, outfielder Austin Hayes did leave Sunday afternoon's win with a left hip contusion. Uh, next up for the O's, a seven-game road trip to close out the pre-All-Star break portion of their season. Uh, first up, a big four-game series at the New York Yankees, on whom the O's hold a four-game lead for the top wildcard spot in the American league. Uh, the Orioles are four games ahead of both the Yankees and the Houston Astros for the top spot in the American League wildcard standings. Uh, game one, Monday night at 7.05, Tyler Wells will be the Orioles starting pitcher. Game two, Tuesday afternoon at 1.05, Kyle Gibson will be the Orioles starting pitcher. Game three, Wednesday night at 7.05, Dean Kramer will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And game four, Thursday night at 7.05, Kyle Bradish will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. So no show for Tuesday, which is July 4th. The uh, next installment of the podcast will be for Wednesday, July 5th. And I have something special having to do with the commanders planned for that show. Uh, also on Wednesday show, we'll talk Nationals and Orioles, and that's on Monday and Tuesday. Have the first two games of a four-game series against the Cincinnati Reds at Nationals Park. The O's on Monday and Tuesday have the first two games of a four-game series at the New York Yankees. Have a great rest of your Monday. Have a happy July 4th, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. There it is.